Awesome. Feels like I just watched a Dodge commercial, doesn't it? Like Dodge Ram, the rules of Brazil. Uh, and I checked to double check because I'm like, is that one of our campus pastors? And they just like auto-tuned his voice down. Actually, that is somebody that attends our Corona campus and that is his real voice. So they got him to do a voice over there, which is fantastic. Um, hey, two other things. Um, in your packet, there's a couple of invite cards. Um, last week, we gave you ones that were misprinted. They just had uh, they just had the, the name of the series we're doing on both sides. Um, this, these ones have a little bit more extra information. Um, we'd love for you to take them with you, invite somebody uh, to come along with you and check things out this month. Finally, um, in the lobby, you may have seen it. There's a table that has some cookies on it. Uh, I've been sharing with you. Uh, we have a, a young family in our church. They have an 18-month-old a little girl named Kinsley, and uh, she has uh, cancer of her liver and uh, is undergoing chemo, uh, chemotherapy just uh, a couple weeks ago, went through her second round. Um, and so we've been praying for them, and we have the opportunity to, to really kind of come alongside and support them. Um, as you can imagine, that process is really, really expensive. They do have insurance, but there's just a lot of stuff that piles up. Uh, and, and so um, we, uh, uh, along with some of the, our friends and other folks in the community, yesterday at the, the karate school, they did this big cookie thing where people could come and buy cookies and support them and give. And so uh, we thought, hey, you know, why not do that again this morning at our church? And so um, we're selling cookies, but really it's just to support Kevin and Megan. Um, and they are currently actually in the hospital this morning uh, because uh, Kinsley's um, blood levels were all over the map. She got uh, started running a fever uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, and that's obviously not super good uh, when you're going through chemo to have an infection. So they've been at the hospital uh, since then. She got a, a blood transfusion yesterday, and things are starting to turn around a little bit. She's doing uh, a little bit better. All the levels are starting to equalize a little bit. So uh, please continue to pray for them. And, and if you, um, none of us need cookies, but if you'd like some cookies, stop by, uh, or if you just want to give, um, that's, what, that's, that's what that's all about. So please um, let, let's, uh, let's show them the, that family some love. Um, so uh, speaking of parenting, uh, how many parents in the house? Everybody? Oh, that's most of us. All right, good. Okay, so par- parenting's pretty amazing, right? Like uh, my son, Kai, he just had his 13th birthday a couple days ago. So uh, we, um, you know, that, that's our third teenager that has come through our house. I can't say we have three teenagers now because my older two are in their 20s. But uh, 10 years ago, coming up just a few months, 10 years ago, we traveled to China uh, and met him and adopted him, came home with just this incredible three-year-old little boy. And, And when he was five years old, uh, his little brother Kelton came home and he was, we adopted Kelton or he came, we started fostering him when he was six months old. So he came home as a baby when Kai was five years old and, and they have been really attached at the hip ever since. And uh, they are best buds. They do everything together. They love each other to death. Uh, and, and, but when Kelton was a baby, Kai was five, we were driving in the car and Kelton, you know, was starting to talk and he was just jabbering and, j- and he, you know, once he started talking, he has not shut up in the five years since he started talking, but he, he's very verbal. And so he was just, but he was just saying all the gibberish stuff that babies say and, and, and Kai was playing with him and we were like, hey, Kai, like, what's he saying? And so Kai leans over and he's listening to him and, and he's hundred percent serious. He's trying to figure it out. He's listening, he's listening. And then he sits up and he goes, I don't know, he's speaking Spanish. And, uh... <laughs> We were just like, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, but parent, parenting's great. But it's not always giggles and cute stories like that, right? Like, like have, you ever, have you ever asked a toddler or a preschooler to do something really simple like move their shoes or grab your blanket or put that toy away? 
And, and you have that, they have that moment and it can be a tad bit dramatic, right? Like, like, and, and sure there's moments where by some miracle of God, they just do it and they do it with a good attitude. But then there are plenty of moments where they're, they're, they're absolutely defiant and they just pretend like they don't hurt, hear you, you know? But, but then there's other times where they just have a complete meltdown. I can't do it. You know, it's like, you just got to grab the blanket. All you got to do is pull the blanket. I can't do it. I can't. They just fall on the ground. You know what I'm talking about? So uh, when my daughter Kaylee, she's 20 now, but when she was a toddler, we transitioned her to a toddler bed. And, and, and we, from the time that our kids, you know, went to their toddler bed, we were teaching them to make their bed, which was really just like, you have a blanket on it. All you got to do is pull it up. Like that's all, it's, you know, there's not a lot to it. And, and, and we we're trying to get her to do it. And every day, man, it was just a fun, I can't do it. Just, just lay it on the ground. My oldest son, Jaron, he would have meltdowns Anytime he came to the table to eat and there was meat on his plate because he would just chew it and chew it. And I don't know if he was afraid to swallow or if he just felt like I don't, he would just chew, he would just chew on one piece of meat for like 30 minutes. And so he started to develop this phobia of meat and he would just melt down like, I know. And I'm like, dude, I know chewing is hard. I can't believe I just said that. I know chewing is hard, but you got to chew it and you got to swallow, Right. But if it's not your kid, like those moments can be kind of entertaining, right? But, but if it is your kid, it's not so fun. And, and, and honestly, let's be real for a minute. It's not just kids that have meltdowns, right? Like hopefully it looks a little bit different, but growing up doesn't always mean that you grow out of those things. Have you ever had your day ruined because they got your coffee order wrong at your favorite coffee shop? Or, or have you ever had your you ever been in a hurry and you're stressed out and you decided today's the day that, because you never eat fast food because you're a good person, but you, today's the day that you're gonna go through fast food and you get fast food and you're very particular and you don't hold the mayo and just, you know, you give them very, and then, and you pull away and it's all screwed up and you're just like, <laughs> right? Start throwing French fries around. See, we actually, in our culture, we have a whole language, a whole, a whole culture sort of around complaining about how hard adulting is because of really terrifying things like laundry, right? Like, like people quit their jobs because they were expected to actually show up and I don't know, do work. There's memes that we have that, that, that tell about all the ways that people literally can't even. You ever heard somebody say that? I can't even. I can't, they put the wrong, they did the thing. I just can't even today. Right? And we can probably all think of a million examples of things that other people can't seem to handle that you think are ridiculous. But that's just because it's not your thing, right? Because if we're honest, we all have our things, things that we don't want to talk about, conversations that are off limits for us, stuff that we don't want to have to face, opinions you don't want to have to listen to or hear or read about, things you don't want to be challenged to do. We all have those things. We all have our kryptonite, right? That thing that just is like we, we melt in the face of. And a lot of those things are just daily things. And that, that says nothing of the state of the world around us, right? With all the violence and the inhumanity and the instability. And it just feels like things are growing more and more unstable by the day. And then there's all the truly, like truly exhausting, truly gut-wrenching and heartbreaking, even devastating moments that life throws at all of us. And one of the surprising things about human beings is just how strong we can be. Just as surprising is how all of that strength can evaporate in just a moment. 
We are at the same time unexplainably tough and unpredictably fragile. See, I'm convinced that resilience might be the singular characteristic that defines the difference between those who thrive and overcome and those who quit and are overwhelmed. And I, I think that's true whether you're talking about the challenges that life throws at you. It's also true of the challenges that you throw yourself into to try to strive and to grow and to change and to make a difference and to become better in your life. How, how is it that some people fail over and over and over again, but just never give up, never quit? They just keep getting up and keep going. But then other people have one or two failures, one or two setbacks, and they can't seem to bounce back. And they're just never the same from that thing. I mean, what is resilience? And so I, I thought if we're going to talk about it all month, we probably need to be on the same page about what we're actually talking about. So there's a couple of different definitions of resilience, but... I wrestled with it all week and they just felt incomplete to me. And so I came up with my own. Far be it from me to argue with the people who write the dictionary and define words, but I decided to write my own definition of the word resilience this, for this morning. So resilience is the combination of durability, right? That, that ability to withstand and recover from things along with flexibility, the capacity to be stretched and challenged to bounce back and also adaptability, the willingness to evolve and adjust so that you can move forward. H have you ever felt like you, you make really big decisions for your life and they last for about five minutes, right? You're like, I am never going to do that again until later today. Sometimes I feel like one of the only things that I might be an expert on is quitting and failure and heartbreak. Some of you guys know uh, the period of time starting in 2016, really there was a period of about three, three and a half years that was just brutal for me personally, brutal for our family. It included like, it included like some personal tragedy, some really terrible things that happened to our family. It included some stuff that I was going through as a pastor and with, with some of the, one of the churches that I was leading. It included all kinds of stuff. It included setbacks and failures and stuff. And, and in the middle of 2019, I found myself, I didn't know it at the time, but I found myself depressed. And, and I, my, my marriage was great. My kids were great. And I was doing the thing that I love to do. I feel like that. I feel like that I was born to do. And, and, and yet I just had zero motivation. I'd wake up every day and I'd get dressed to go to work. And I just didn't want to, I just wanted to be at home. I just wanted to sit around and zone out and watch Netflix and eat stuff. And so I decided to go to a counselor and I was talking to him, describing it. And my wife has, um, and many of you know, my wife struggled with um, anxiety and depression her whole life. And so in my mind, I wasn't depressed because what I had didn't look anything like what she's ever been through. And so I sat down, I'm telling him about it. And he's like, oh yeah, you're depressed. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know if you know me, but I don't get depressed. That's not something I deal with. And he's like, look, have you ever had a rubber band and, it's like when rubber bands are new and fresh, you can pull them and twist them and jerk them around. You can do all, and he's like, and they snap back. He's like, human beings are like that. He's like, you've been through a lot, but the problem is as we get older, it's like you get an older rubber band, it starts to dry out, and if you pull it too hard, it gets stretched out and it doesn't snap back. He's like, that's what's happened to you. Life has pulled you and stretched you in ways that you were not prepared for and you're not young anymore. And I was like, you can shut up, counselor. <laughs> He's like, so you're just stretched out. He's like, the good news is we can get you back into that shape. 
I was like, are we talking about working out? Because that's not why I came to see you. I don't really want to do that. See, that, that's what makes resilience so interesting and so powerful, right? Is that you have the capacity to bounce back, to return to the original form that you were in before all of the tragedy and the twisting and pulling and stretching happened. I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but do you ever get sucked into like a, a YouTube vortex, like black hole where you're like watching stuff and you find yourself, you end up and you don't really realize it till you're like watching a video that you would never like search for to watch, but you're just like, why am I watching this video? And so I, that happened to me, only it happened with, with a video about camels. Um, and, and so I learned some really interesting thing, things about camels. Camels can go weeks and weeks and weeks without water. Uh, and camels can walk a thousand miles and, and they can walk a thousand miles with seemingly endless endurance. And, and one of the things that sets them apart from other sort of pack animals is like, because an, animals like horses, that you, can, you can tell when they're getting tired. You can tell when they're wearing out. You can tell when they're about to break down. But with camels, you can't. They will give you no indication that they're about to collapse. They will walk and walk and walk and walk and go without water and food, and they will just keep going and give you no inkling that they're about to collapse, and then it just happens. They will fall down and die. And, and I'm watching that video, and I was like, Thank God I fell down this little rabbit hole and ended up on a video about camels because the truth is, most of us tend to be the same way. You can't tell from the outside that you're about to break down, right? But you know, you feel it inside, but on the outside, you just look strong and you just keep going and people are like, look at how strong they are. They can make it through anything until you just fall over dead one day, right? Maybe not physically, but emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Humans have an incredible capacity to rally in the face of hardship and difficulty and difficulty. We rally and we rally and we rally, but then one day we have nothing left. And our soul simply says, I'm done. I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. Has that ever happened to you? Because it's happened to me. So there's this incredible observation in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. It says this, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. I, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I tend to focus on the they rise again part. That feels like it's really important. But the they fall seven times part seems kind of important too, right? Because it's not just once or twice, it's seven times, which seems like a lot. Only it's worse than that because well, in the scriptures, the number seven is used a couple of different ways. It's used as a number of completion or perfection, but it's also used to communicate sort of an indefinite number of times. In fact, there's this really famous moment between Jesus and the disciples regarding forgiveness. And Peter, one of the disciples, was trying to show off and impress Jesus. And he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? I mean, he's just thinking like, man, that seems like a lot. And Jesus is like, no, not seven. How about 70 times seven? It's this indefinite number of times. And so when the scriptures say, right, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, right? What he's saying is that you fall and 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 you fall. But 
if you're righteous, my question is when I read that, why should you, why should you fall at all, right? I mean, isn't the, the fact that you fell proof that you're not righteous? But the assumption here is that the righteous are actually gonna fall. And not just here and there, looks like all the time. See, I, I think if you're a church person, I think part of why we struggle with being resilient when life really sucks is that we thought if we were aligned with Jesus, we'd never fall down. But God is expecting you to fall. He's expecting you to fail, to lose, to mess up, to get hurt, to be discouraged. The difference between those who are resilient and those who aren't isn't whether you fall down or fail or get knocked down by life. It's that you get up, more, you get up one more time than you fell. The difference isn't exponential. It's not a factor of five or 10. It's simply the difference of one. Because it doesn't matter how many times you fall down. You just have to get up that one more time. See, I think when we're in those moments, we have a tendency to think that what we're lacking is inspiration. What we're lacking is motivation. What we're lacking is just being determined enough. But, but most of us are drowning in oceans of inspiration for things that we haven't done yet. And for things that we're quite honestly not sure we'll ever do. Have you ever known somebody who was getting ready to do all kinds of stuff like their whole life? They're getting ready to do this and they're getting ready to train for that and they're getting ready to lose weight and they're getting ready and it just never happens. See, the problem isn't really an inspiration problem. See, I've had this ridiculous pattern in my life that goes something like this. I recognize that I need to change or do something. So I cook up a giant, really unrealistic plan I psych myself up with lots of inspiration. I come out of the gate crazy hot, like a madman. I'm gonna, let's do this. I'm gonna do this, yeah. I see little to no immediate results or progress. Realize that I overestimated, overextended, and overexerted myself. Get overwhelmed and get discouraged, and then give up. And then I wait for a little while until the sting and the memory of that whole experience sort of fades a little bit, and then I start it all over again. You can stop laughing. My wife is literally laughing because she knows this is true. If I had a dollar for every time I've walked in and been like, that's it. I am sick of this about me. I'm going to change this. We would be rich. We would be rich. Because <laughs> she just starts laughing. She goes, no, you're not. You're not going to change that. You're just going to do that. See, because I've done that pattern with my weight and my relationships and my habits and my faith. That kind of pattern obviously doesn't work. But if, if inspiration isn't what most of us are missing, what is? How do we become more resilient? Well, to begin answering that, I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament, Old Testament about a guy named Gideon. It's found in the book of Judges, chapter 6. If you have a Bible or you have a Bible app and you want to follow along, you can open it there. If not, all the scriptures we're going to read today will be on the screen for you. Uh, so Judges chapter six, uh, beginning with uh, verse two, it says this. It says, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. If you are unfamiliar at all with the Bible, the Israelites were God's people. The Midianites were not their friends. Verse three, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the East would attack Israel camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat 
They took all the sheep, goats, cattle, and, cattle and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived, on, uh, they arrived in droves on camels, too numerous to count. They stayed until the land was stripped bare so that Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So uh, that just kind of gives you the context of the story that we're about to get into. Things are really, really, really bad. We've all been through some really rough times. We've been through some rough times in this country. We've probably not, most of us have never been through something like this. I also think it's crazy how long they waited to, before they cried out to God, right? Because, and we'll do the same thing. We'll struggle and we'll grind and we'll fight. And it's only when we're out of options do we then go, I guess I'll ask God for help. I guess I'll pray. I guess God, why, have you been paying attention? I, I'm down here struggling. Why don't you help me out? And so the Israelites finally cry out to God. And this is what happens in verse 11 of that same chapter. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah and said, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. And Gideon was threshing weed at the bottom of the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, first of all, if an angel comes and talks to you, don't treat him like he's your 10th grade teacher, like history teacher. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. See, I, I think Gideon had one of the same challenges that we have in our faith. And that is that many of us turn to God to avoid the kind of circumstances that would actually require resilience, right? We, we think that if we believe in God, we can avoid a more difficult, harsh a more challenging life. I mean, after all, that's what giving your life to Jesus is all about, right? Avoiding problems and pain and disappointment. I mean, doesn't it feel like one of the frustrating things about being a Christian and believing in God is that you have the same problems that everybody else has? I mean, it feels like a ripoff. Like, God, I thought you were gonna give me a better life. But in fact, in the book of John, Jesus actually tells us that we should count on having trouble and difficulties, in this world. He says, in this world, in this life, you're going you're gonna to have all kinds of problems, but take heart. I, I'm with you. I've overcome the world. See, God's prom promise isn't that when he's with us, everything will be great. His promise is that he's with us even when things aren't great. And, and that is a powerful and beautiful and comforting reality. But it's actually deeper than that. I, I want to take you back up just a little bit in the story. I want you to look at these verses that happen a couple of chapters before Gideon's story begins. It's in Judges chapter three. So this is three chapters before where we picked it up. It says this, verse one, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this, meaning God did this, to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. And then it gives a big old giant list 
of all of the nations, all of the people that were fighting against Israel that God left in the, in the land so that they would have to fight, fight it out with them. So see, here's what it's telling us, right? Let, let me just translate it a little bit. It's telling us that some, not all, but some, uh, a huge portion of the very things that Gideon was whining about, some, not all, of the very struggles that he didn't want to face, some, not all, of the really dark and painful and challenging situations that he took to be proof that God had abandoned them, that God had actually orchestrated to teach them how to fight and be strong so that they could face down any enemy, any obstacle, or any challenge so that they could actually discover how much they were capable of, so that they could actually learn how to trust and depend on him so they could, they could see what he could do in their lives. Which is an incredible reality when you think about it. I mean, that's uncomfortable. That God leaves difficulty and challenges and, and struggles in your life that he won't solve them all. And the reason that he does that is because he wants to teach you how to be strong. That there's battles that he won't fight for you, that he comes alongside you and he's with you as you're struggling through it, but that he wants you to learn how to fight and get stronger and be more resilient. Now, here's the thing. God's not a, he's not a masochist. Right? He's not playing some game with your life. He, he didn't intend the world to be filled with pain. We actually are the ones that did that. He certainly doesn't enjoy our pain and suffering, but he is a realist. He knows that there is pain in this life. Jesus just, I just told you where Jesus said that. And so God doesn't give us a way around it. He actually takes us through it. And not only does he promise to be with us through it, he actually uses those dark and painful experiences to build the internal framework and structure in our life that takes courage and strength and resilience to grow inside. See, the truth is everything worthwhile in life Everything you want to achieve, everything you want to receive is uphill from where you are right now. Man, that is, I'm just so mad at that. Because the problem I have, and maybe you have this problem, is that I have lots of uphill dreams and desires, but my habits are mostly downhill habits. It's amazing how far I can run when I'm running downhill. It's amazing how fast I can be when I'm running downhill. You put me on an uphill. See, we want the outcomes, right? But we don't want the process that's required to achieve the outcomes that we want. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon who's hiding out in a wine press and he says, hey, you, you mighty warrior, you, the Lord is with you. Which is, I feel like the narrator's like letting us in on a really funny joke because he's literally hiding. He's afraid. And God shows up and he's like, you are just the warrior I've been looking for. And he's like looking around. Dude, I'm just trying to eat. I'm trying to get enough food right now just to eat today. And the people cried out to God and God responds by sending an angel to appear to and prepare Gideon so that Gideon can be sent to help. See, here's the deal. There are seasons where all you can do is just make it through the day. There's no doubt about that. And that is definitely part of this conversation about resilience. And in fact, it may even be where it begins, right? But, but God just doesn't wanna help you make it through the day. He actually wants to do something extraordinary in and through your life. 
What, what, we, what, we, what we'll see all month long in the story of Gideon is that your resilience isn't just for you. Your courage to come out of the wine press and stop hiding and get back in the fight isn't just about you. You growing, you creating, you tackling the problems of this life and of the, of the world around you, it's bigger than you. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, what you see is that God answers desperate people's prayers by sending them somebody. He answers them with a person. The people were enslaved in Egypt and Moses is way out in the desert somewhere and he sees a bush and he approaches it and God begins to talk to him. And one of the things God says is, I've heard the cry of my people. They've been enslaved and oppressed. And so I've come down to rescue them. So now I'm sending you. You're the answer to the prayer, Moses. And he appears to Gideon and Gideon doesn't know it, but Gideon's about to be the answer to a whole nation's cry for God's help. We can never become who we were created to be, who we long to be, who God imagines us to be without resilience and, and not just resilience to overcome the hard things that come our way, but the resilience to take on the challenges that are facing the world around us on behalf of other people. So this is how Gideon responds. Verse 14, it says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. By the way, this happens, this moment happens right after Gideon was like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. God's not with us. He's abandoned us. He's abandoned us. If he was with us, why did all this bad stuff happen? The angel of the Lord doesn't even answer that question. He doesn't even, he just blows right past it. He just says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. <laughs> oh, that's all? That's all you want me to do? He's like, I'm sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied. Now at least he's moved from sir to Lord, right? First of he was like, he says, how can I be the one? I think you got the wrong guy. My clan is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. Nobody listens to me. I'm the youngest one. I get stuck at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Nobody even talks to me. Nobody's gonna listen to me. I'm not the guy. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. So Gideon does what all of us do when God sort of drops this really big challenge in our laps. He, yeah, I, wrong number, all right? Yeah, sorry. I don't know, yep, yeah, no, wrong, wrong place. Do you know who I am? You do realize that Israel has actual warriors, right, that you could appear to? That if, that if you would have said, hey, you're a mighty warrior, they'd have been like, yeah, that's right. You found the right guy. And he's like, you don't get to pretend that I'm one of them because I know I'm not one of them. So it kind of feels like you're sort of setting me up to like try to get me to do something that I'm probably not gonna wanna do. But God just says to him what he says to us. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Go with what you already have. Go in the strength that you already have. Go with what you already know. Go, just start, get started. It's time to move. And this is incredibly telling See, because resilience isn't about inspiration or determination. The angel didn't have this whole conversation pumping him up. Dude, you're the king. You're the king, man. You're the warrior. You're the big bad warrior. Let's go. You know, he just comes out storming out. No, there was no inspiration. It was just like, here's what's going to happen. You're gonna, you got to do this. You got to move. You got to take action. 
Resilience isn't about inspiration. It's the result of finding purpose and channeling our passion into regular habits and practices. It, it just looks like discipline, which is the worst news ever. Because I'm way more about inspiration. See, it's not about what you're inspired to do, though. It's what, about what you actually do. And so God says to them, go with the strength that you already have, I will be with you. Start small, take the next step, take the step that's right in front of you. You don't gotta go fight them by yourself right now. I got a plan. Right? And, and this conversation is the opposite of the whole, like I'm gonna hatch a giant plan and get all psyched up and inspired up and come out hot and then you know, fizzle right out. It's the opposite of the, that thing that I normally do. See, for for my personality, if it's flashy and fun and exciting and immediate, I'm there, I'm down, I'm in. Let's do it. But if it's not those things, my initial sort of emotional response is like, that's probably not worth my time. Seems like hard work. (laughs) If I can't do, like the way I'm naturally wired, if I can't do the big thing, I just don't want to do nothing. I think that little thing, are you kidding me? Give me something big to do. If I don't know what to do, I'm probably not going to do anything. But he's like, just go, move, act. It's time to move. And actually, if you were to keep reading the story of what happens, Gideon, where he begins, he goes and makes a really small sacrifice, literally. He made a meal and he offered it to, the, he offered it to God because that's all he could think to do. He didn't know what to do. So he just made a sacrifice. And then God blows his mind a little bit with what he's able to do with the sacrifice that Gideon makes. And once that happens, then Gideon's like, oh, okay, this is starting to get serious. So then he builds an altar. And the altar was just something that they did to remind them like, oh yeah, this was a really big, really important moment. And so every time I come by this place, I'm gonna think, oh, that is the place where the angel of God appeared to me. That is the place where I made that sacrifice. That is the place where God blew my mind because I know I'll walk away here and it'll get from here and it'll get hard and I'll just sort of forget and the intensity of this moment and the reality of this moment will sort of just fade away and I'll just kind of disappear and the next thing you know, I'll be hiding out in the wine press again and I don't want that to happen so I'm gonna build this altar right here so I'm reminded of the power of what God is trying to do in my life of the assignment that he's given me to take on. See, our tendency is to believe that what matters most is the giant leaps that we take. And there are times in life and there are times in faith where that is necessary. There are definitely some giant leaps that God will lead you to take. In fact, if you're a person of faith and you've never felt like God has asked you to take a giant leap, you're doing it wrong because God will always lead you to a life that's bigger than you. But resilience is not a pro- is a product of small, consistent steps, way more than it is of those giant occasional leaps that we take. See, Gideon took that first step. It was just a small step. He made that sacrifice. And then God gave him a slightly bigger step. And it wasn't huge, but the next step was something that he couldn't pull off alone. It involved through him doing some things in, in his home and in his hometown that he was going to need some help doing, which was pulling down some of the statues and altars that were built to other gods. 
Because God's like, hey, if we're gonna rally people around this, I need them to be focused. I need you to get rid of all this other stuff. I need them to know who I am. And so that's what Gideon does. He goes and gets some help. And, but when he goes to do the thing that God told him to do, he kind of chickens out and he's afraid of what might happen, of how people will respond. And so instead of doing it and just, just getting to it, he decides he's gonna do it at night so nobody would know it was him. And when I read that, I was like, you are my people, Gideon. Because I was like, I, that sounds like something I do, right? Because even when I'm courageous, I'm kind of a coward. Even when I have faith, I still sort of fumble by, are you sure? Like I, I still kind of fumble my way forward. See, I think some of us are just born with some like more natural resilience and courage than others. But the good news is that anyone can become more resilient because it's just a muscle that can be developed in your life over time. Because it comes from character and choices, not personalities and pedigrees. And so Gideon just keeps taking the next step forward. He falls down and he keeps getting back up. And little by little, his resilience is starting to build. So there, there's this uh, verse in the New Testament that the stepbrother of Jesus, or the half, not the, not the stepbrother, stepbrothers, half-brother of Jesus, James, he wrote these words in James chapter one. He says this, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you probably know this verse. You've probably quoted this verse. Lots of people quote, quote this verse. I've said this verse many times, but can I just be honest? I think this verse at, for on, the, on the surface sounds absurd. Consider it joy when you go through trials and not just any old joy, pure joy. Okay, James, you put down the bottle, step back, right? And, and I think it's easy for us to just kind of get hung up there, but that's why you should never just read a verse because he doesn't stop. He tells us that the only way it's possible to consider it joy is if we know something. And I love that he says, because you know. Did you know? Did I know? Seems like kind of a big assumption there, James, because you know, right? He just says it like, everybody knows this. Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I'm like, wait, what? Don't just go off to the perseverance. Why, why do you want to test my faith, God? See, that there's a direct relationship between perseverance and resilience, between the capacity to keep moving forward no matter how hard our life is and our ability to get up one more time. And James says, that a big part of the way that you get more of that is to have your faith tested. See, I, I, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you're a person of faith, I think a lot of us, we really want big faith, but we don't want any problems that would actually require us to have big faith. But what's the point of having faith if you have no problems? You actually don't need faith if you have no problems. If you've ever prayed the prayer, God, give me bigger faith. In heaven, that gets translated as, God, give me bigger problems. And so maybe you're like, eh, maybe little faith. Little faith will do, God, because I really don't want the problems. It's also a little bit disturbing to think that God wants to test my faith, right? Like he's, 
Is he setting us up to fail? But that's the thing that God, God doesn't want you to fail the test. Not only is he not setting you up to fail, he leverages everything in your favor to help you succeed. We actually see that in the story of Gideon, that God leads him very carefully and very you know, patiently step by step through a process. And like us, as I said a second ago, Gideon was all over the place. It was one step forward, two steps back. But God was endlessly loving and patient and kind with him. And so Gideon's resilience continues to grow until eventually, as we're going to see as we go through the rest of this story, all through this month, he's leading an army to free the people of God. I wonder what small sacrifice is God asking you to make this morning? I know how offensive to think that God would ask you to sacrifice anything. But I wonder what small sacrifice he's asking you to make. Not because he needs it. See, Gideon made his sacrifice thinking he was going to, he was making it for God. But part of what blew his mind is God just consumed it with fire. He didn't need the food. The sacrifice was more for Gideon than it was for God. I wonder what small step that you need to take. I wonder what action that you need to begin regularly repeating in your life to strengthen an area of weakness. You don't got to get all inspired up and come up with this band, start buying all the workout gear and get all the things set and then not do it. No, you just start where you are. Use what you have. Go in the strength that you already have. Go in what you already know and do what you can. See, I, I'm not here, I, honestly. I, I hope you hear this. There's nothing about my story that would cause me to stand here because I haven't fallen or failed or gotten lost or knocked down by life. I'm only here because I'm just stubborn enough to keep getting up one more time than what I fell down. Who told you that it wasn't supposed to be hard? It wasn't God. Who convinced you that God had abandoned you? It wasn't God. And so if you've fallen, get up. So what if you failed? You might be going through hell this morning. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't choose the easy path in your life. Don't choose to hide. Don't choose to shrink back or settle for just getting by. Get up and move forward. You can't become by going backwards. You can only become who God created you to be by moving forward and facing what's ahead. You will always have the opportunity to choose a lesser life, to be a lesser person, to have lesser faith. You will ha always have the opportunity to choose what's easy and comfortable, to be the lesser version of you. But that is not who God's called you to be. That is not who Jesus invites you to be. That is not who Jesus died for you to be. He wants to come alongside you and walk with you through it so that you can actually become who he created you to be. Years ago, I was going through a really hard time and I probably should have looked up who said this um, and given them credit, but I don't know. I don't know who said it, but somebody, somebody sent me this note and they didn't say anything else. They just sent me this quote. It said, the purpose of life is to be defeated by greater and greater things. I love that. I've been defeated by some really small things in my life. 
How about you? But when we begin to grow in resilience, it takes greater things, something greater and greater and greater to actually defeat us. And God is wanting to strengthen you to the point where it would just take an earth shattering, earth moving thing to actually defeat you. And really to get you to the point where it doesn't matter what life throws at you. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world that you could not be defeated. Choose a life that demands faith and courage and strength and resilience. Choose the hard path, not because it's hard, but because that's the only way to make a difference with your life. Choose the uphill because when you make it up that first hill, it's worth it. Somewhere, someone is crying out to God and maybe, just maybe, you are the answer to their prayer. That's what's at stake. Let's pray together.